This is Unfiltered, episode 106 for July 16th, 2014. U.S. intelligence and law enforcement agencies have dozens of investigations underway. The FBI, other members of the intelligence community, um, have made this a top priority and are taking whatever steps they can under the law to monitor and prevent those coming back from doing us harm. The government has begun an intense effort to collect intelligence overseas on Syrian training camps and also trying to identify Americans at home even before they travel to Syria. U.S. officials tell CNN not all potential suspects may be on the no-fly list, making it harder for investigators. Welcome. This is Unfilter, episode 106 of an ongoing continuing saga about the news that you should not be watching. My name is Chase Nunes, and joining me every single week without fail is the lovely and talented and lush and bearded Chris Fisher. Hey, Chris. Hey there, buddy. Hey, man. Welcome to episode 106, man. Yeah, I know. And uh, how's the weather treating you? You didn't get too warm on the drive up or anything, did you? Oh, no. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, that's what air conditioning works. But yeah. it was like 92 on my way here. The, the thermometer in the car was like, wow, I'm going to make a uh, short-term Red Book prediction. By the end of this episode, <laughs> we are going to be bacon. It heats up in here so fast once we turn off those fans. I mean, I'm so happy that there's no cameras in here right now because I, I am naked. So uh, Picture. if I... <laughs> If uh, you hear a fan noise in the background uh, about halfway into this episode, you'll know that we gave up and we had to turn it on. We're trying for you guys right now. It, one, one thing you got to realize is I know a lot of you guys are going to go, well, it's 105 here in California, which I have a lot of friends that live down there. It's you know 110 in and Texas. And in some places, they had a hailstorm recently. Yeah, it's like so it's 105 crazy. in Phoenix. But one thing you guys got to realize here in the Pacific Northwest is I would say 85% of the homes and apartments and things that you live in up here do not have air conditioning. Oh, we just don't sure. do it. We just no, don't do it. No. So when we do get the couple weeks of yeah. f- a fun, hot air, right. oh my gosh. Well, there's also in a studio, you have the fact that we're in a foam padded room. Soundproof. So that sort of keeps it in. And then, an insulation. And then there's like six computers running plus a mixer and all. And, you know, and then all us. That. Yeah, and then us. Yeah. Our hot air. So, <laughs> hey, uh, speaking of our hot air, a yes. little follow up at the top here. Uh, Back in Unfilter 89, episode CIA versus the Senate, mm-hmm. we talked about uh, how Dianne Feinstein was all upset because the CIA admitted to spying on Senate computers. Do you remember when this happened, Chase? I do remember when this happened. I, I, just yeah. in case the audience doesn't, I'll refresh your memory. with. Uh, here's a little clip from uh, back in episode 89. This sort of summarizes in a few seconds what she was so upset about. The CIA just went and searched the committee's computers. Senate Intelligence Committee Chair Dianne Feinstein blasted the CIA on the Senate floor. Besides the constitutional implication, the CIA's search may also have violated the Fourth Amendment, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, as well as Executive Order 12333, which prohibits the CIA from conducting domestic searches or surveillance. So this was, uh, what's the date on that post there, Chase? Uh, the date on this post is March 12th, 2014. So this is back in March. That's Diane Feinstein. She took an unscheduled uh, speech on the floor. Yeah. Nobody was expecting her to do it. And she rails on the CIA, right? She rails she on them spying mean. on her. Did, the CIA did you also catch? and search the committee's computers. Now, you know, sometimes uh, words just don't mean anything, but sometimes like... If you've been dealing with a uh, like a phrase, or if you work in an industry and you use a word a lot, you'll just sometimes accidentally say that word. Yeah. And listen here, let's see. I'll try to play this. It's just a little thing I noticed. Which prohibits the CIA from conducting. All right, so she's about to say domestic surveillance, but listen to the word. And I think I mentioned this before, but I still believe it. Listen to the word she almost says instead. Domen- domestic searches. What do you think she almost said there, Chase? D- Whoa, I thought she was going to say demented. No, I thought she was going to say dementia. Domestic search. I'll play it again, I'll do that one, then I'll get off it, because I know it's not that important. But yeah. Or surveillance. Oh, hold on, sorry. The or reveal she's being The CIA just All right, went here. Right on triple three, which prohibits the CIA 
from conducting domestic searches or surveillance. I thought she was going to say demented. I thought she was going to say dementia because she has it, and she's been talking to her doctor about it a whole lot, and it's a big oh, secret. Oh, right, nice. All right, you like that? Yeah, that's okay. a little bit I of bacon wonder, I was wondering what that's just going. a That's just a strip. Anyways, uh, the reason why I bring this up is because the Obama administration has quietly decided not to investigate and pursue the CIA for spying on those Senate computers. Uh, they're just going to leave it be. They did a real good. Uh, t- they had a real good talking to with everybody, and they've come together and decided, you know what? Hey, we don't need to investigate this. This is uh, on uh, uh, Thursday of last week, so just after Unfilter of last week, this came out. Wow! A DOJ spokesperson confirmed to uh, to the uh, I think this is RT. Uh, that they won't pursue any further investigation into whether the Senate Intelligence Committee staffers took classified documents. You know, documents. this really pisses me off. And I'm sorry, you know, if, if some of you guys, oh, this is this is just a wild goose chase, you guys. You shouldn't really, you know, it doesn't matter. Hello, a law was probably broken here, okay? Yeah. And yeah, for sure. Well, and the other thing that's the other thing that's extremely important is uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee's job is oversight of our intelligence agencies. When they start to do that, they got spied upon. That fundamentally erodes their ability to monitor the intelligence agencies. Right. The checks and balances system is broken if they can't check on them. And when they do check on them, they get spied upon. And then the Justice Department. Uh, now this is for some reason the way this article is written too. They imply that it's coming from the Obama administration. Yeah, they sh- the thing is the Obama administration cannot pursue a criminal investigation that comes from the Department of Justice. So yeah. I think that's RT obviously putting a little bit of a screw to it a little bit. But maybe unless it came from Clapper. Clapper works with the White House, so it's possible. Well, so that- do you think Clapper called up Holder and said, "Hey, hey, uh, hey, do me a favor. We do not want you to pursue this." Maybe. I mean, how how can Holder? Which, by the way, yeah, Attorney General, Department of Justice, how can he just say, well, we, I mean, there's evidence right there in front that the yeah. CIA did something. Yeah. If anybody, if any well, other- Well, not only, there's not even evidence. Uh, Brennan actually contacted the Intelligence Committee and informed them, hey, we just realized we've been spying on you. Like, like they admitted to it. So I don't know if that's potentially why they're letting it slide. But the, the way they even found out is because the CIA told Feinstein. They didn't catch them in the act, which is the crazy part. Uh, Let's talk about, before we go on, uh, did you see the the latest revelation from Greenwald and uh, the GCHQ and all of the basically trolling tools that they have? There's essentially herds of people that work for the GCHQ that troll online communities. And in in the new Snowden leak that Greenwald published, and we have a picture of this in the show notes too, there is an image of a wiki page that's essentially a menu the GCHQ operators get to just pick from. <laughs> and they have great names like Angry Pirate, Arson Sam, uh, Bumper Car, Badger, Bombat, uh, all kinds of great names like that. Wow. What appears to be is an internal wiki page detailing the cyber weaponry used by the British spy agency, GCHQ. It was published by Greenwald on The Intercept. The page has been maintained by GCHQ's Joint Threat and Research Intelligence Group, JTRIG. We've actually heard about them before. Uh, so here's a little, uh, here's a little uh, just kind of like a little sampling of some of the things they do. It's all outlined in the show notes. Uh, they've developed uh, their own equivalent of CryptoLocker. They call it Swamp Donkey. It's a tool that silently locates all predefined tile- file types and encrypts them on the target's machine. So you remember that file locker virus? Yep, yeah. yep they've got Swamp Monkey, their very own. Uh, or I'm sorry, Swamp Donkey. Uh, Sunblock, it blocks a target from sending or receiving email or being able to view any websites. Stealth Moose will disrupt the target's Windows machine. <laughs> oh, uh, Angry Pirate is a tool which will permanently disable a target's com- account on their computer, so it'll disable your user account. Wow. Yeah. They also have some harassment tools. They have Concrete Donkey. That's their ability to scatter an audio message to a large number of telephones repeatedly over and over again or barb or bomb a target uh, number with the same message over and over again. They can do the same thing for SMS. Uh, they also have uh, Bumper Car, a system used, uh, uses complaints to YouTube and other sites for about offensive content to disrupt and deny terror video, internet-based terror videos or related material. So they'll go on there and they'll file a petition with YouTube and they'll have the system that does it automatically over and over again to flag it. Uh, that's a great one. Silverblade used to sp- uh, specifically report terrorist content on the video site Daily Motion. So they got a, they got a tool just for Daily Motion, everybody. Wow. Misinformation and spoofing tools. Underpass used to change the outcome of online polls. Ah, oh, straw poll, how we barely knew ye. Slipstream and gateway can be used to manipulate traffic to a website, inflating a page views and raising its search rank. How about that? 
Hey. Could, they, could they point that one at us? That'd be great. I know some uh, people is probably using that tool right now. Uh, clean Sweep allows the GCHQ to masquerade uh, Facebook wall posts for any individual or as it from an entire country. Uh, Scrape Sheep Challenge, it's a perfect spooping of emails from a BlackBerry. They also have a clumsy beekeeper. This has been used by the GCHQ for targeting of anonymous. It's an IRC effects tool that's still under development to uh, mess around with IRC rooms. And uh, Chinese Firecracker. Chinese Firecracker is intended to crack passwords to forums and other sites so analysts can post under someone else's name. I'm sure that I'm sure they're doing that only for terrorism, Chase, so don't worry about that. Oh, don't forget, Chris, there was also a focus by GCHQ to focus on a game called Second Life. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Because, you know, uh, well, they believe... Glitter they- Ball. Yeah, Glitter Ball. Isn't that great? Online gaming capabilities for sensitive operations. <laughs> Glitter Ball. Glitter ball. That sounds like something else entirely. If they're my in Stowe, I'm out of here, man. Dude, I think they're in World of Warcraft. Well, I I, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that at all. You know, Stowe. Uh, maybe Stowe be under the radar. I don't know. It all depends on the uh, on the size, I suppose. Wow. Yeah, but how great. Think about you know how you were on the hunt for a job for a while. Think how great it would be to have got to land at a job where you play around in Second Life all day looking for terrorists. You know, the the funny thing is that maybe the government reached out to me and I just didn't get the phone call. Yeah, maybe. Of course, they do have the ability to bombard your phone if you don't answer. So. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I would have a knock at my door. Yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Nunes. <laughs> Excuse uh, me, sir. The GCHQ would like you to play Second Life for a living. Would you be willing to uh, do that? Hey, while we're talking about the GCHQ, yeah. uh, something that is just absolutely egregious, as RMS would say, have you heard about this emergency surveillance bill that's been fast-tracked? It's designed, well, you know what? I won't tell you. I'll let the clip tell you. The UK Prime Minister says Britain needs these emergency laws that force telecommunications companies to hold records of customers' data. 9-11! Oh, wait, that's a different country. Because back in April, the European Court of Justice scrapped an existing law that already forced companies to do just that on the grounds that it infringed human rights. So the British government wants to rush through its own law. David Cameron says that telecoms firms are just weeks away from deleting customer information. So I don't have a full grasp on this situation, but I'm, I understand that, I guess, something recently passed that uh, because of the passage of that, the telcos have decided within a certain amount of time they were going to start deleting these records that the government has potentially had access to. And oh. now they're trying to rush something through to prevent those records from being deleted before that time is reached. Ministers say that that would have serious consequences for police and counter-terror operations. Sometimes in the dangerous world in which we live, we need our security services to listen to someone's phone or read their emails to identify and disrupt a terrorist plot. As Prime Minister, I know of examples where doing this has stopped a terrorist attack. I can't tell you about According to the law, mobile phone providers will have to store data on who contacted who and when for 12 months. So that means your messages websites you've visited, and even the places you've been to if they're recorded on geolocation apps like Facebook, will all be retained. Anyone who's followed the Snowden revelations even briefly will know that we already have huge powers of mass surveillance here in the United Kingdom. And um, we had a programme called Mastering the Internet, for heaven's sake. But, in fact, this has not protected us. People have still become radicalised. What we know is that these powers are disproportionate. It's about targeting all of us. It turns all of us from citizens into suspects. The law's being rushed through Parliament and could be enforced before the week is out. But perhaps one small consolation for its opponents. The regulations will automatically expire in 2016, which means politicians will have to re-examine the measures all over again in two years' time. Wait, 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 wait. That sounds like something. What's what's that? Patriot something. something. By the way, Chris, all they have to do is find an AT&T office in London, install a piece of glass. Right called a prism yeah and then they don't even have to ask so here's the highlights that i do know prime Min- the prime minister insists that police and spy agencies must retain these snooping powers telecom firms must keep records of all calls text and emails location web traffic you heard it for 12 months <laughs> the, the laws are intended to protect the powers of gchq mi5 and mi6 the government insists it doesn't it is not an extension of the snoopers charter an extraordinary cross-party deal by the way they're touting what an extraordinary compromise this is an extraordinary Ordinary cross-party deal between Cameron Clegg and Miliband. And here's what I love about this. 
I love, love, effing love how how they can never come together on anything except for when it's crushing the rights of the people. Then everybody comes across the aisle. It doesn't matter if it's in the U.S., doesn't matter where it's at. Everybody manages to work together when it's about spying on the citizens. Then we find common ground, finally. That's so sad, you know that? Yeah. That is so sad. But the, that's politicians in power for you, right? Yeah. I mean, because once you're in power and once you have all these you know, strengths and traits and things that you can do, yeah, who cares? Who cares what about those people? I, this, is, this would be a great opportunity to hear something from our audience over there since we're not on the ground over there. Maybe you've got some insights. Uh, if, it, if you know, Give us an update. We have secure ways you can contact us in the show notes, but you can also just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click the contact link. I'll say this, though. I mean, I, I have some friends that live in the U.K., yeah. and they basically have grown up with cameras. I mean, I mean now uh, police constables over there are wearing mm-hmm. cameras on their uniforms as they arrest people. Obviously, some people wish that cops here would do that as well. But they've been born and raised with cameras, with surveillance all over their lives. So I'm hoping that isn't that uh, frog effect where, you know, this is just another little thing thing, and it's okay. Well, I think this is more about, too, about retaining uh, access to something they kind of already have access to, but, uh, you know, before a deadline. But according to the documents that we got from Snowden, this... Right. We're already sharing information yeah, to them anyway. They, so this to, they wanted they, everybody want nobody wants to get in trouble for it. Well, you know, and speaking of Snowden, here's what he thinks about it. And NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden also has deep reservations about the plans. In an exclusive interview with the British newspaper, Snowden says the UK government is trying to convince people that mass surveillance is for their own good. And he also questioned a lack of public debate on the issue. I think it's interesting too. The lot of the same language to justify it over there is the language they use to justify it over here. Uh. Uh, I think they, I think they collab. I think they do collab. Yeah. Hey, uh, I got. We got to talk about something that almost seems too unbelievably bad to believe. Okay. And it's one of these things that the mainstream media is not really going to report on. So the clips we can get aren't going to come from CNN or MSNBC or Fox. But uh, one of Wall Street's largest industry groups is working together. So it's a consortium of banks to establish a government cyber war council. So a partnership between this trade group and a government council. They've brought in a former NSA director, your buddy, Keith Alexander. He's the the man behind this. Uh, He's reported now to be uh, pimping Wall Street for $1 million. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Did we mention that on the show? That he's he's offering security services for $1 million a month. Uh, he mentioned uh, that, uh, uh, anyways, that he thinks that they need to have a consortium and work with the government. This is a pretty astounding. Uh, uh, this is a pretty astounding development because what it essentially does is it would put the banks on this on the footing to decide what's a cyber attack and what's not a cyber attack. This clip explains a little bit about the background too. Wall Street's biggest trade group has proposed a government industry cyber war council to stave off terrorist attacks. Great. That's what we needed, a cyber war council. The proposal by the Securities Industries and Financial Markets Association, known as SIFMA, calls for a committee of executives and deputy-level representatives from at least, UA, eight, at least eight U.S. agencies, including the Treasury Department, the National Security Agency, and the Department of Homeland Security, all led by a senior White House official. Now, pause here to understand what's happening. It's not a government official or body proposing to put together a government committee. It's a group of private bankers proposing to put together a government committee that works with them. Okay, boundaries of business and state gone, evaporate. Okay, what kind of government would that be? I'll look into that later. Uh, Yeah, it's a fascist government. In fact, uh, uh, Representative uh, Alan Grayson out of Florida, he says he's concerned about this becoming essentially uh, like a a war council that the banks would be able to have input on. And the fact that they are... uh, uh, the fact that they are uh, retaining uh, Keith Alexander as a Representative Alan Grayson says, because of the murky nature of cybersecurity, I am concerned that a council like this might propose either physical attacks or cyber attacks by the U.S. military on the perceived source of the threats. This could, in effect, make the banks part of what would begin to look like a war council. Which is, I also completely agree with. And, of course, we have the Alexander aspect, which means he's got close ties with the intelligence agencies. Uh, the Trade Association also reveals in the document that SIFMA has retained former NSA director Keith Alexander to, quote, facilitate the joint effort with the government. Alexander, in turn, has brought in Michael Chertoff, 
the former U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security and his firm, Chertoff Group. Now, the Chertoff Group uh, sort of is famous for making money off the war and terror. Uh, the uh, full body scanners at the TSA, yeah. he's the guy that made a bunch of money off selling those. Uh... So, uh, oh, you know who else works for the Chertoff Group, as a matter of fact? Mm. Your buddy, Michael Hayden, former NSA director before Keith Alexander works for the Chertoff Group. So now you've got Keith Alexander that's recommending these banks work, create the Cyber War Council, and they bring in the Chertoff Group, which has Michael Hayden in it. And now it makes sense why Hayden's been out there scaring everybody about all of this. i got to find some new friends. And these, yeah, these this essentially would be a, a group that watches for industry attacks and then recommends to the government who they go attack. And according to the according to Pentagon warfare rules, they can go after somebody in a physical in a, in a physical aspect or in a virtual aspect for a cyber attack. Is this just another quote unquote secret society, Chris? Is it, that's what well, it feels it's, like. It's a, a way. way. It's a so, way for the banks to control uh, sort of a very important and emerging. App. They're getting into the ground level while we're building out our cyber warfare divisions. Well, well, first off, they're already controlling politicians, right, with contributions and having them push certain mergers through and things of that nature. Now they want to get involved in the war scene. Mm-hmm. The uh, the cyber. I think war. they always have. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, good, glad to good, good to see that uh, Keith Alexander is making some good money, and uh, he's out there getting uh, some work for the people. That's, yeah. that's great. We'll right. keep an eye on the cyber war council. It sounds Man. too spooky to almost believe. It I almost need, sounds too impossible to I believe. I need some friends. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about Cryptome. Uh, they've been around mm-hmm. for a long time. Before WikiLeaks was a thing, there was Cryptome, and uh, they have been pushing heavily to get the entire catalog of the Snowden leaks revealed. In fact, they've even teased that they might do it at the end of the month. Uh, they've launched back in 1996. They're a website or a digital library. That's what its uh, owners call it. It's a tome of classified documents, including wow. every list of, including former lists of MI6 agents, details on nuclear technology. The archive currently stands at over 71,000 files, spanning nearly two decades of disclosures. They have all of the available Snowden files stashed in there, too, and they've been threatening about releasing all of them. I don't know how they have access to them, but they've been publicly pressuring Greenwald and, and team to release those documents to the group. I don't know, Chase. I'm kind of getting sick and tired of the trickle effect. Greenwald's still trickling them out. I'm just starting well, to get a little burned well, we, out on it. Well, we know why he's doing this. You, you know think, why. I, well, I'm not so sure. Do you think it's for views? Yeah. I'm sure it is. I mean, why not release it? All right. First, he has a book. Obviously, he's trying to make money off of this book. And obviously, he's trying to push The Guardian, right? You know, he wants The Guardian to still be in the limelight. No, he works for The Intercept now. Or The Intercept. But he was publishing on The Intercept, on, yeah. On the Intercept, but Which is a new venture, a new venture he's launched, so it draws attention to it's that. It's drawing attention to that. So here's the thing, right, Chris? If you ha- Let's say you were sitting on this stuff, okay? And I know you're you're a good, common, you know, good, great American, but you're also a businessman. You know, you want to, uh, you have all this great information, this first-party information that you want to release out to the world, and you want to... Continue to remain relevant. You have a He's book. created a product out of it. Yes. Yes, he has. And I commend Cryptome for doing this. The thing is, I don't think... Man, what if he, what if they did? What if they released it all? Are we going to have a lawsuit? It would never happen. You don't it think would, so? No, 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 no. Because so much has been based on... So much of their arguments have been based on responsible disclosure and journalists meticulously going through the files and vetting every mm. single thing. They would never do it. But... but Journalists going through the files, but the only person that ever releases this information is one guy. Yeah, well, uh, no, there was the guy at the Washington Post, too, but yeah, for the most part, yeah. it has been. All right, Chase, I give up. I'm uh, No, it's okay. I'm going to put it in low mode, but we're just, I'm already dripping. I'm, I'm too warm. I'm feeling it. Yeah. Uh, you know who else is feeling the heat? So here we're talking about banks, right? And obviously, yeah. you've got the reserve currency, that's the U.S. dollar. Yep. You've got these banks talking about cyber war councils. We today announced further. Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank. You know, uh, sanctions. Oh, yeah. Sanctions on Russia. Yeah. We announced additional sanctions on Russia. So it's probably not too surprising, Chase, that the BRICS countries are creating a... Bitcoin bank? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, a development uh, bank. What? A group of five countries have launched their own development bank to challenge the U.S.-dominated World Bank and International Monetary Fund. Leaders from the so-called BRICS countries, B-R-I-C-S, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, unveiled the new development bank at a summit in the Brazilian city of Fortaleza. The bank will be headquartered in Shanghai. Together, BRICS countries account for 25 percent of the global GDP and 40 percent of the world's population. 
Now, this is a huge deal. So that picture you have up on the screen, of course, you know, you probably recognize your buddy Vlad. There's my buddy. There's Vladimir Putin. You got India's prime minister next to him. You got Brazil's president there. She's in the middle. You got Chinese president there next to her. Yeah. And then South Africa's president. Now, this is something they've been working on pretty, pretty diligently since 2009. But something tells me this has accelerated recently. Mm-hmm. And the details, the, the amount of money that these companies are working on truly is an effort to replace the IMF. As you say, it's seen as an alternative, an arrival to the International Monetary Fund and to the World Bank. And the five emerging economies, of course, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, are hoping that this new bank uh, will act as a rival uh, to the IMF and the World Bank and uh, end the global dominance of the US dollar. Now, initially, each country will put in 10 billion, uh, uh, 10 billion US dollars. It will equate to 50 billion. The hope is that that will uh, later rise to 100 billion. And the money will be spent on uh, infrastructure and development projects in emerging economies. I think this is a really huge story. Chris, this is beyond huge. And, you know, we joke about talking about showing me the money yeah. on the show. Yeah. This is the ultimate show me the money. Right. Because when you have these kind of countries coming together, and then I assume, this is, this is just an assumption, but you're going to have probably the U.S., maybe the U.K., Australia, Canada, maybe throw another country in there, I'm not sure. This is like... This feels really weird. Beginning of us versus them. World War Three. We talked about in the pre-show. We talked World about War monetary three. Remember how we just talked about in the pre-show about Russia forgiving thirty-two billion dollars of yeah, debt to Cuba. Yeah, Cuba. Yeah. Very interesting. There, trying to make good graces all over the place. It seems to be that uh, if Vlad's actually right now. He's flying all over the world, going on like a publicity tour, uh, meeting world leaders, shaking hands, setting up economic deals. So, right now. let me ask you this question. So, you got China involved here, right? In in this, uh, this yeah, group. they're the biggest funder. The, right now, here's an, oh, by the way, another interesting aspect: they're sharing uh, the management of it. So, like, China doesn't uh, get management of this new bank for like two decades. China is one of the biggest holders of United States debt, aren't they? Not yeah, but it's still not a huge percent. But yeah, they are. Yeah. So, what if all of a sudden China came to collect, and now they have the backing of Russia, Brazil? They're going to ride this U.S. train as long as they can, man, because they, they make a ton of their money off of us. Yeah. A ton of their money. I mean, these guys all together represent a huge percent, but yeah. we represent a ginormous percent, too, sure. just, the, just the U.S. Right. market alone. Yeah. But it essentially gives them independence from us. It, and, that, and that's the weird thing is you have all these countries forming groups outside the U.S., not including us. It's like now we're, we're not the popular kid in the room anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't want to deal with us anymore. But, uh, well, we did upset people. And what did I say like a month ago? I said when you start using... The U.S. monetary system, when you weaponize it and you start punishing countries with it, they're going to bypass the U.S. dollar. I, I, that's yeah. in the show. You can go back and find that. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying. I mean, this has obviously been in the works for a long time, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I think this thing has gotten accelerated in the last year. Uh, and uh, you know, a few of those people right there. I mean, Snowden was in China. Uh, uh, the Brazilian president has uh, has you know responded very extremely to the Snowden revelations, and Snowden is currently in Russia. So three of the people in that group picture there have have been involved with the Snowden situation in some way too. Yeah. So there's that element. I don't know. It's an interesting situation. No, it's it's, it's early days because it's just a and, development bank right and it's now. It's great to follow right now. It really yeah. is. Speaking of development, go over to Patreon.com/unfilter. And support the unfiltered show. We are audience funded, and we're so close to three hundred patrons. Just gonna, I, you just you you stole the words out that? of my mouth. Were, I was. You were going to talk about that. I was. Well, you're so hip to it, Chase. Uh, so. <sighs> No ads in the show. No. And when you're in patron, you also get access to the supporter exclusives, like the additional supporter show, which has a bunch of more stuff in it, especially this week. All of the notes, all of the clips that we play, all of the artwork, everything like that, additional clips. We've got the overtime folder and the pre-show folder. Yeah. Some really deep, heart-wrenching, sad stuff in the overtime folder <laughs> this week. So you can grab that from the BitTorrent sync if you want. But you also just get an RSS feed of our latest supporter shows. And you get the newsletter as well. Plus, you have... The warm heart, the warm feeling in your heart of keeping the show on. The yeah, I mean that's the great thing about Patreon is you guys, we are completely transparent with what we want to do with the show, and you guys are completely transparent in your support of our show. That's the coolest part. And you, uh, we give you a suggested donation of five dollars per month, and if you do that, you get access to all that fun stuff. And I know some people out there on tight budgets. You can put in whatever you can afford. So if you can help us get over 300 patrons by next week, I think that'd be awesome. And if we got to 305, I'd probably cry a tear. 
Well, no, that's sweat from the heat. Oh, you're and, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but right. thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, the coolest thing here is, Chris, let me show you something really awesome. I'm waiting for it to load. All right, you show me something really is awesome. Is the, the activity feed yeah. of, of the... Uh, now, I remember your, last time you showed that, you almost gave away some secret sauce. Yeah, well, it's not in this activity feed. But here, you know, yeah, here you, here you have uh, patrons chiming in and wanting to see yeah. more follow-up, more red book predictions. I know, I know. Well, I think we've actually been introducing some of those. That's what I love is you guys get the bat line. Yeah, I'll go through there and see like, okay, what are people thinking about, you know, it's because that's like, these are people who are investing in our show. They're our boss. Yeah, and we are accountable to you guys. We really have one goal left. It's a big goal and we got to keep dreaming and we got to keep pushing forward and that goal is to take this show twice a week. Yeah. And maybe someday we can hit that goal and if we hit that goal, man, Beautiful things happen because, you know, news is a continuous cycle. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Hey, are you ready for a drone update, Chase? Yes. Patreon.com. Oh Anderson Cooper, everybody. Slash unfiltered. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. So uh, Washington State's got themselves some wildfires, Chase. Well, actually, we have one. We have the biggest in the country right now. I know. Well, I know. Uh, and uh, Washington State also is breaking a little history with our wildfire. New at 6, cleared for takeoff. It's important for fighting fires that we try to minimize the risk to human life. For the first time ever, drones get the green light to fly over wildfires in Washington State. Cairo 7 plots their path and their purpose. For the first time in U.S. history, drones are allowed to fly over a wildfire at night, and they're authorized right here in Washington State. A couple of funny things about this, though. Yes. Uh, First of all, the drones are like they're like locally sourced drones. Yeah, a subsidiary of Boeing actually owns the drones. And Boeing's here in our backyard. And Boeing's here in our backyard. And so here's the good news, obviously. Good news is state's not paying for it. That's nice. Hmm. You want me to give me give my thoughts about this real quick? Yeah, sure. Um, first off, I know, you know, we we uh, we don't like drones for certain private you know private I mean, privacy reasons. Of course, you know, we don't want to be spied on. Or when they blow up kids and, and yeah, wedding parties. Yeah, right. This is one of those instances where I fully, 100%, without question, support. These are the situations where it takes someone, like a firefighter, out of harm's way. Okay, you have you have a drone going over areas maybe that they didn't know that there were hot spots in. They're maybe using thermal cameras. Mm. Obviously, they can travel at night. These are one of those situations that could actually help tremendously to save houses and to save lives. Yeah, you know, I almost have no issue with any drone use other than the use of it to kill people who shouldn't be killed. Yeah. Like, uh, I, even in warfare, which I wish I would never have to say, but, I mean, like, if you're going to have to have warfare, I almost prefer to be drones than actual yeah. humans. But um, but especially in civilian use, where there's firefighting, where there's rescue operations, like, you know, the mudslide you know, we had recently. I don't know if you knew this, but my and the guy that you've met, our good friend John, Mm-hmm. Was a uh, was a firefighter doing these kind of things? He worked for a contractor that was working for the the, the Forest Service, and would go out and they would fight, you know, uh, make fire lines, mm-hmm. and they would put down hot spots and things of that nature. We have uh, some family members that uh, work on the fire lines. It's it's one of those situations where if you can throw up a drone at night and you can use thermal cameras yeah. and you can use technology for freaking good mm-hmm. for good mm-hmm. i'm okay with this hey man I'm, I'm i'm down with drones for all kinds of stuff yeah amazon pizza. wants pizza amazon <laughs> amazon wants to send me some condoms via drone i'm down pizza thai food sure what i'm not down with is citizen surveillance yeah uh, i'm not down with government surveillance and i'm not down with yeah. uh droning 16 year old boys and things like that totally not so not so down with that aspect of drones uh, and I think it's so interesting because you know they're already doing this uh, firefight, or it's not—it's not necessarily firefighting. It's more like uh, what the? It's more like fire monitoring. They're doing that in uh, already doing that in Australia right now. So I guess that's uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things where I. Uh, by the way, this is a. If you can't, in case you guys want to know how big this thing is, hello. It is four foot long. It uh, has a ten foot wingspan. Hey And it carries uh, cameras. It, there's no picture. It's oh. just yeah. I have a actually in the show. You notes, have a picture if you, in the show notes. Oh, uh, let, me, let me jump over. Let me yeah, actually open it in a new. Cairo topic. Cairo snapped like an exclusive photo of it, Mister Chase. Although I got it. Here it goes. Right here. Yeah, there you go. Wow. This. Wow, that looks really cool, and that's the cameras. See, yeah. here's I like these things. This is this is good technology. This yeah. is a you know sad story that there's a major fire. Great news that there hasn't been any homes lost. There hasn't been any lives lost. Granted, I have friends over there that have. They, it is unhealthy air quality today. 
Yeah, yeah. It's 100 degrees, low humidity, just terrible. But this is this is a good news story. Hey, uh, something I wanted to mention before we move on. Uh, I, I Before I forget, because I just thought of it, I probably won't forget as we're wrapping up. Yeah. The Unfiltered Show is going to be live on Monday next week for episode 107. Friday. Friday. God, yes. Friday. Yes. I got a lot of other shows I'm doing on, on Monday. But it'll be live on Friday next week for 107, and uh, we'd love to have you join us. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna give you guys an exact date right now, yeah, so you guys know. Normally we do it on Wednesday, but yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things where, yeah. Uh, so next Friday, that is next Friday, July twenty five, twenty fifth, same bat time, same bat channel. Now, Chase, we often talk about the benefits of cannabis use, uh, but I don't think we necessarily often talk about the potential downsides of cannabis use. So this week, I wanted to take a minute to talk about uh, a new study that's come out. And uh, I have a link to it in The Guardian if you guys want to read it. It's okay. a pretty damn long post for essentially what you really need are two paragraphs. So I'll tell you what those two paragraphs said. Okay. Uh, so they recruited – this is a person writing for The Guardian who was involved with the study. All right. Uh, they recruited 121 volunteers, all of whom had taken cannabis at least once before. Taken cannabis. I like that. Okay. And all of whom reported having experienced paranoid thoughts in the previous month, which is typical of half of population on average. Really? Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, I wonder what, yeah, anyways. Uh, that was a little weird. None had been diagnosed with any mental illness that were uh, of the 121. The volunteers were randomly chosen to receive intravenous 1.5 milligram doses of THC oral placebo, which it was just saline. Uh, to track the effects of these substances, they used the most expensive, or I'm sorry, the most extensive form of assessment yet deployed to test paranoia, including virtual reality scenarios real-life social situations, self-administered questionnaires, and expert interviewer assessments. I wonder if you can really establish if someone's paranoid during the course of a test period. Uh, Anyways, the results so far have been clear. THC caused more paranoid thoughts. Half of those given the THC experienced paranoia, compared with 30% of the placebo group. (laughs) Wait, so essentially one out of three and a half-ish... In the placebo group, still were paranoid. Yes, uh, one in five had increased paranoia that was directly attributed to THC in the in the uh, in the weed group. The placebo group pr- produced extraordinary effects in some individuals. They were convinced they were stoned, acted accordingly. In some cases, even had memory loss uh, because at the time they didn't know who was stoned and who wasn't. They all just assumed they were high. Everybody thought they were high. So wait, this Coca-Cola, by the way, product placement, that you gave me... Right. Are you being paranoid right now? Did you put something in this? I actually think... Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of making fun because, first of all, it's they call it one of the largest studies ever, and it's 121 people, which is super depressing that that's one of the largest studies ever. That's something point, so widely oh, used. Oh, 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 How many zeros do I need but to add? let's say you could derive you know, a baseline from that. Uh, I actually think it's true. And to a degree, yeah, I, because I there's agree. certain strains of marijuana that I are, actually you should call it cannabis, not marijuana. Marijuana is the plant. Well, no, marijuana no. was a term that was created to associate it with Mexican use back when they were originally trying to outlaw cannabis. Wasn't that episode one? Yeah, we, I think we did cover this in episode, episode one. Episode one. The, so the term yeah. marijuana is actually Mexican slang. It's supposed to be a racially charged. It's it's a racial slur. Oh. That's what the that's what the crazy Mexicans called. Although that wasn't what they called it either. But right. so it's actually called cannabis. That's the legitimate thing to call weed. Uh, marijuana is racial slang that was that was distributed in Hearst papers to make people build associations with Mexicans using cannabis. And so, therefore, if you use cannabis, you are like one of those dirty Mexicans. And that's they were playing to people's racial bigotry back in the day. Uh, it's disgusting. And we continue to call it marijuana. Uh, they, we shouldn't. I mean, if we can't call uh, a sports team the Red Sox or whatever it was, then we shouldn't be able to say marijuana. Anyways, I do believe there are certain strains of cannabis that make a person more paranoid. I, I, would, I would agree with you that. I mean, you can also extend that to other sorts of legal prescriptions and medications and oh, stuff, too. Oh, I suppose too. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure, I mean, yeah. and anything that you could test, there's going to be some side effects. I what mean, I would like to know yeah. is does the paranoia well, first of all, or... so this kind of stuff is good in the sense that, well, then educate people on what to what to pick so they don't maybe have a paranoia. Or does it just maybe certain mental chemistry? Like maybe you're just if you're prone to paranoia, then it doesn't matter what strain you're smoking. I would like to know that. I'd love the study to derive that. And I would also love a study that would say if you stop smoking, it goes away. You know, or like when you stop smoking, sometimes your lungs heal. 
to a degree or something. Right, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? Just more details, because this is essentially a, a pretty worthless study. So what I was going to say is, do you think the study then is more uh, pro or one of those against I stories? I didn't, grab, I didn't grab a particular bias out of it. I think they were just trying to determine, can, can cannabis usage, usage lead to paranoia? Right. And I think... What they've demonstrated is that if you have an aptitude for paranoia, then it can accentuate that. And I think that's something people should be aware of. The core message, I think, is worth receiving. Now, Chris, I want to show you a map here. All right. Of the beautiful state of Washington. Yes, sir. Isn't okay, that now, nice? As you see this map, there's now this isn't a county map. There's not these are all the federal lands and Indian reservations in the state of Washington. Yes. All now the red the red ones are okay. All of the green spots on that map illegal to have cannabis. Well, actually, Tulalip has said oh, really? no, too. Really? Yeah, I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, And also, down in the, the uh, you can't see it here, but also in the south end, there's some smaller reservations. But yeah, you can't, even though it's legal here in the state, uh, the state, you can't take it these places. Planning to take a hike or a camp in a national forest or park this summer? Even though voters legalized marijuana in Washington, if you're going to smoke it, be aware there are places it's still illegal. King Class Tracy Ewan shows us where marijuana is banned. A lot of questions as the state moves through this transition period. So a viewer called us over the weekend. He'd been camping with some friends. Well, a ranger had come by to check on their campfire. The ranger noticed that they had a small amount of marijuana. The camper tells us that it was purchased legally. According to the viewer, the pot was confiscated and he got a $125 ticket because he was on federal land. We reached out to the U.S. Forest Service. Here's the deal. The agency is required to enforce federal laws on public lands that they manage. I want to show you this map of Washington. Everything that you see that is colored, that is federal or tribal land. So pay very close attention to all the green highlighted areas. For you audio listeners, I have the map embedded in the show notes. Yep. And also a link to the PDF if you really oh, care. Yeah. Those green areas represent national parks and national forests, where, again, the Forest Service emphasizes pot is not legal. You cannot have it. You can't smoke it at all, or you're going to pay a fine. And we have an interesting conversation going on King 5's Facebook page. Cindy posted this. Eventually, the federal government will have to visit this topic, so state and federal will be on the same page. Obviously, the general public is divided, as is federal government. Issues are complex and confusing. Paul says, I think the people of Washington voted it legal for the state of Washington. I understand that the land is federal, but it is inside the state. Bottom line, federal agencies are going to stick with federal laws when it comes to marijuana. Yeah, well, I don't think that's too surprising, is it? And just to address the, the tribal lands thing real quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are uh, sovereign lands. And by the way, Louis Lang in the chat room pointed this out. The thing is, it is up. Since they are sovereign, they are either choosing whether or not to acknowledge it. Yeah, Some yeah. have come out and said they are still they're not going to allow it because they take federal funds. They don't want to jeopardize ah, yeah, situations sure. and right. things like that. Right. Uh, you know. And the other thing to note is just because it's legal in the state of Washington, many private businesses, uh, while they are receiving federal funds or contracts for that matter, uh, can still make it against company policy and that sort of thing too. So. So yeah, here's the thing. I will add to this story though, Chris. Okay. Um, the ranger. Confiscating the pot, obviously the smoke for himself. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Dude, but you could, right? I mean, like, because first of all, if say they had an ounce with them, yeah, and then you confiscate the ounce and you take half of it, if you only report half an ounce, and me as the person who's getting in trouble, that gets me less in trouble. Yeah. I'm gonna roll with that. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. all I had, yeah. half an ounce. Yeah, totes. no, yeah. no, totally. And here's the other thing, by the way, since it is illegal on federal land, obviously. He could the 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 ranger could have just straight up arrested this guy, right? Could have made a big scene about it. Yeah, I think it. it's interesting. One hundred and twenty dollars ticket. They have a ticket for that. Uh, uh sorry, uh, Chris. Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. that's a hundred twenty five dollars ticket. Do you really think he was there to check the fire? Or do you think he was there to find out if they were moking? You know, here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think that the people that were smoking were probably not being discreet about it. Yeah, and they're maybe being. La- I know well, you're is, out in the I'm, wilderness, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe they're they're having a party, they're having a good time. Oh uh, well, I mean that's maybe I don't know. I mean, if if I was going to go smoke out in the woods, it'd be a pretty chill thing. Now, to be fair, alcohol is usually against the rules oh. either. Well, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's probably they probably use the same rules for that. Yeah, they probably so. gave them that ticket. All right, let's yeah. make a red book red book prediction because you know what were you just saying, Chase? See how we listen to the people? We do right there. Boom, we're listening to the people. Listen All right, to the people on Patreon. So. Chase. Ooh. Yes, Chris. Your prediction. Will the federal government 
for the entire United States legalize cannabis. And think about the cascade effect of all of these things that we've just been talking about over the months of this show recently. This is a really long-term pred- prediction, uh, in my opinion, because I think right now you got Colorado moving, moving stellar for the most part. Uh, you have the state of Washington finally trying to get its legs underneath it, getting it rolling as well. You're, I think it's on the ballot in a handful of more states this year. I think eventually you're going to see the federal government removing it as a class one drug. I think what it is right now, they'll they'll do a stair step approach, Chris. They're going to bring it down to a lower yeah. category. Right. Yes, then, I agree. And then they'll get rid of it. I All don't right. think it'll just go from one to so zero. They'll lower schedule it, one. So it won't Sorry. be a schedule one anymore. So they'll remove it. They'll lower it as a schedule. So we can both agree on this base level of the prediction. Yeah. They're going to lower it to a uh, schedule. We don't. I don't even know what they have. No. <laughs> right. Lower it from a schedule one, though. Because yes. the whole schedule system is so stupid. Right. Yeah. All right. Now. They'll, think, they'll do a stair-step approach. But I think this is going to be a long-term thing. I think over a five- to ten-year period, even maybe longer. Oh, I think so. All right. So here, I'll give you my prediction, and then All you right. chime in. All right. I'll go first. I think it's a post-Hillary presidency thing. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're already putting in the red book that Hillary's getting president. Yeah. Okay, fair so, enough. <laughs> I'm saying it's a post-Hillary presidency thing. <laughs> All right. Because we'll have... We're going to get Hillary in there, and it's going to go just like Barry went, and we're at we're going to be so frustrated by the end of Hillary's eight year run. <laughs> oh, stop! That we're gonna we're gonna elect somebody crazy, and that crazy person will just do all kinds of stuff. Because also, by the way, our economy will have completely crashed by then. So I'm going to say post Hillary election, the new candidate comes in and legalizes it. So uh, what do you think? So you're saying in eight years. I don't think it's going to take that. Uh, well, it could take that long, but I don't think the president has anything to matter. I think what will occur is once you get, say, 20 states, I think that's the magic number. Get about 20 states that have legalized it for recreational use, then you're going to see the government step in. Whatever timeline that takes for those 20 states to make that happen, that's what's going to be. So here's the thing is, uh, okay, so okay, so I got my prediction. I'm going to say post-Hillary candidate. I, I, I say it has nothing to do with the candidacy. I think it has to do with the states getting involved. Okay, so the states will make it happen. The states will make it happen. When? So many, I, I said when 20 states, at least 20 states get into it, it's going to get the federal government's attention. They'll make the change. So after 20 states, the, after the, 20 the, states the, 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 it breaks. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just make it happen. All right, there you go. There's our official... And then we both agreed, obviously, on the Schedule 1. It's going to be pulled down yep. from whatever that is to Schedule right. 2. There we three, go. Whatever. We got it. I've got it in the red book. We'll Sweet. revisit this in the future. Sweet. I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be the post-Hillary candidate. I think he's going to, or she's going to lead in a wave of change. People are going to be like, it's a mandate. Hallelujah. Let's do it. Speaking of a wave of change, we need a wave of change here in the local Washington uh, management because they have screwed this cannabis legalization thing up so bad, the black market got a boost for another five years. Whoa. Countless would-be pot smokers are still waiting to inhale. Marijuana remains scarce across Washington, even for the woman who was first on the list to get her legal license. Her shop is located on Woodby Island in the town of Langley. As King Fies Eric Wilkinson explains, it doesn't look like things will be getting better anytime soon. Good afternoon, Woodby Island Cannabis. Her pot shop is scarcely bigger than a shoe. We did get your number, didn't we? And Maureen Cook fits right in. Yes, indeed. I feel like Mother Hubbard, yes. Her cupboard is bare. Cook's Whidbey Island Cannabis Company was the very first on the list for legal licenses in Washington. Good afternoon, Whidbey Island Cannabis. She thought she'd be open for business on Tuesday. We're hoping in a week or so. But at this point, yes. the closest thing to weed in her shop is this potted plant. People are coming through the door. People are calling. And I have to stand here and just go, ah, we don't have any product. 24 licenses have been granted across the state, but only a handful have anything to sell. Well, I'm here. Bad luck. At Cook's counter, the customers keep coming. So thank you so much for coming by. I'm so sorry. And coming. Oh, frustrating, frustrating. That's the understatement. The waiting list for weed here is 100 people long. That's not including the 60 or so customers who leave empty-handed every day. Excellent. Each one of them money walking right out the door while Cook pays rent and workers. I was hoping that we were going to have something. She's already more than $20,000 in the hole and hasn't sold a single joint. I'm hoping that they're going to hold off on licensing more retailers because right now the 24 
are not being supplied. Then, a spark uh, he's, of hope. He thinks he's got a bead on some product. Word there may soon be some pot in the yeah. pipeline. We're hoping by next Friday. Until then, Whidbey's mother Hubbard... Well, we're open, but we still don't have any product. ...is holding on house. for father time. I guess we just have to hurry up and wait. Eric Wilkinson, King 5 News. The continuing shortage is due to growers getting their licenses late from the state. And if they were selling edibles right now in these pot shops, they would be raking in the cash because the edibles, you know, first of all, you can get a lot more distance out of the product. So you could make a lot more edibles. They could be coming in from Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. It could be at least selling something, but instead it all goes to the black market. And let's not kid ourselves. There's plenty of pot grow ops in Washington that just haven't there's. They're just not certified, they're, the labeling They've things. got weed to go, Chase. Yeah, they've they been do. growing weed, yeah. and that weed's got to go somewhere. Yeah. They're not just going to throw it away. No, they're not. So, I, yeah, he's, like, ridiculous. Now, you mentioned uh, just sort of we, we just tossed it away in our coverage last week. Yeah. That the just, uh, Seattle City Attorney this, was— This is hilarious. This really is. So, the Seattle City Attorney, Pete Holmes. By the way, great name. He sounds like a porn star. Uh <laughs> Long Pete Longhome. Pete Holmes uh, was one of the first people to go down to the Seattle only Seattle shop. Yeah, he was like number two almost. Number two, and he made a statement. He he, you know, he made a little speech, you know, and he said, "I'm going to take one of these and put it in a case, and then I'm going to take this other one and home or whatever." And he helped also sponsor Initiative Five Hundred Two, which was the legalization right. of cannabis in Washington. So what he did is uh, a lot of people didn't realize this, but after he visited the shop, he took the pot back. To work. Yeah. Now, here's one problem with that, Chris. First, he works for the city of Seattle. And, Chris, the city of Seattle has a drug-free workplace policy. So, he broke the policy. And he said, after discussions with the city's personnel department, he said, I have volunteered to donate $3,000 to the Downtown Emergency Service Center. And I apologize to my employees and all city employees and to the public. The Seattle City Attorney has apologized for having pot in his office at City Hall. Pete Holmes was among the first people to buy legal marijuana on Tuesday. Then he brought it back to his office and left it there before attending a city event. He now admits that was a mistake, since the city of Seattle is a drug-free workplace. When I bought the unopened marijuana to city offices, trying to keep up with a busy schedule, I nonetheless violated the city's rules, he writes. After talking about the violation with HR, Holmes said he volunteered to donate $3,000 to the Downtown Emergency Service Center. Ah! You know why I'm mad at this? Why? First off, it feels like a bribe. All right, you know, I did something yeah. wrong. Yeah. Here's $3,000 yeah. to shut up. Well, uh, did you see uh, sort of the... Like attack campaign that was launched against him for this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he should have been fired. I'm sorry. You know why? Because if I brought it to work at my job, yeah. I would be fired. If you worked back in corporate and you brought it to work, you would be fired. I try to make myself indispensable. But but <laughs> but since <laughs> since I'm not the popular city attorney, right. I'm well, not going to get fired. Uh I wouldn't I wouldn't say he got off. I his reputation Took a massive pound. Here, I'll just play. A, All right. This is a clip. The whole thing will be in the supporters' sink. But just listen to this piece from one of our local news, not to mention the massive amount of airplay it got on the radio and yeah. the other news networks. Yeah. Now at 11, police made it a joke. This is a legal purchase. Seattle's top prosecutor buying marijuana. But HR says it's no laughing matter. Tonight, they're making the rules clear about workers with weed. Has Pete Holmes violated city policy? Controversy hits the city's top attorney from two sides tonight. New at 11, Carlos Evans, Chris Francis is live in Seattle with one. Controversy from two sides. High Holmes might need to explain himself. Wait, High Holmes? Wait, did they call him High Holmes? He needs to explain himself. Was that a little Freudian? Let me play. I'll play it back. Let me see. Tonight, new at eleven. Cairo Sevens. Chris Francis is Here, see, back about workers with weed. Yeah, has Pete Holmes violated city policy? Controversy hits the city's top attorney from two sides tonight. New at eleven. Cairo Sevens. Chris Francis is live in Seattle with why Holmes might need to explain himself. Why? Chris, oh, okay. well, Steve, Pete Holmes was one of the biggest proponents of legalizing marijuana in Washington, and he exercised that right on Tuesday. But he's learning his actions on Tuesday aren't sitting well with too many people. 
this is amazing. Right, guys, you, know, you have to make it tangible, West and that's what happened today. This thing. is a legal purchase. That's Pete Holmes while he's out there in front of the, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Cannabis City store. Cannabis City. And um, I, I want to yeah. just think about this. This is, this is a, right now straight up an attack piece on this guy. He went and bought some weed, and he accidentally brought it to work. I mean, yes, that is a mistake. Wait, wait. Accidentally? Well, he probably I, was just stopped in there and had to get back to work. No, he 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 specifically said that he locked it in his desk. Well, yeah, I'm That's, not saying like I'm not saying like I mean obviously he just didn't. I mean when I say accidentally, like I mean I, he didn't give it the full thought. I, I don't. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't mean like right, no, no. Yeah. I was, I was. I like, mean, it yeah. was stuck to the bottom of his shoe, Chase. <laughs> but it's okay. what happened after that legal purchase that has City Attorney Pete Holmes in hot water. This afternoon, his spokesperson admitted Holmes took the forty dollars worth of pot straight to his office at City Hall. In an internal email sent out the next day, the city's human resources director reminded employees they could face disciplinary action if they possess marijuana while conducting city business on or off city premises. Bringing pot onto city property is also a violation of the Drug-Free Workplace Act. Holmes, through a spokesperson, denied any wrongdoing. Some in the Seattle Police Department are also taking shots at the city attorney's pot purchase. Now, this part is especially unnecessary to cover on the local primetime news. And on the entire time for this piece, they have up on the screen a comic of the Seattle attorney smoking and looking super stoned, like a, like, you know, like a degrading drawing. This cartoon is circulating in West Precinct and portrays Holmes as a stoner holding a joint while writing a report against a police officer. Now, really, really, uh, kind of funny, but really, does Cairo News need to include this and put it up there and broadcast it to everybody? Uh, this is like an internal cop joke thing. It's not really meant for the public. Police spokesperson Sean Whitcomb admitted it was the kind of thing you might find in a locker room, and in no way does it indicate a rift between police and the office they work with oh, every day. Oh, of course, of course. As the city's top lawyer is going to make a purchase. That's certainly his decision. That's if he wants to be an asshole, that's fine. And I don't think anyone should be able to begrudge him that. I mean, it's a mistake and I'm judging him, but I sh- I'm not going to say it out loud. Are there going to be some officers who uh, think it sends uh, the wrong message? Sure, but... You violated us. That would be their opinion. Because you are a betrayer. Now, we reached out to the city attorney for a comment tonight, but he was not available, though he did say they would have a statement tomorrow. And then that's live in Seattle, Chris Francis, Cairo 7, Eyewitness News. That's when they donated the money. I just, I don't understand the whole donating the money comment part. I know it does feel like, hey, look at me, I'm giving it to something good. Right. Or is it like, hey, you've got a lot of money, so now we're going to penalize you and you have to give us some of your money. Right. And, And that's the part that really rubs. Uh, I mean, obviously, if any other nor uh, I wouldn't far me to say normal employee, but let's just say uh, an administrative assistant or you know someone who well in uh, the HR email they said disciplinary action they didn't say get fired Chase well usually disciplinary action is getting fired yeah there's usually zero unless you're really important yeah. Hey, we got some emails, speaking of really yeah. important. Yeah, we did. We got a couple of emails, Chris. The first one came in from Count Zero, talking about GH. GCHQ, that's always a mouthful, leak lists. Uh, This story popped up on the BBC News website today, uh, 15-7-2014, though it's getting virtually no coverage at all on the TV news channel or elsewhere. No surprise there, of course, but I thought it might be worth covering on Unfilter. The worst part of this is not so much about the mass surveillance programs and the fact that the government will, later today, bring in special emergency powers to enable further snooping on all of us in response to an EU court ruling that this was unlawful and had to be stopped. We talked about that we earlier. Thought, yep, yep. But more about the fact that the GH, uh, GCHQ would appear to be involved in subverting online discussions, polls, and general political discourse. Now I make this point because if this was happening in Russia, China, Syria, or some other country, the U.K. and U.S. governments would be falling over themselves to be the first to condemn these activities. <laughs> I can't bill him yeah. or laugh that enough. That is yeah. such a good point. Keep if, up the great work, you guys. If, if China or Russia was doing this, we would be we yep. would be standing up and broadcasting to the world about their oppressive activities and the Great Firewall of China. Yes. But uh, no, but yeah, absolutely right, one hundred percent. Now I believe someone's going to call me out. You want to read that one? This came from Aaron in Boulder, Colorado. Beautiful Colorado, the Mile High State. Chase, I'm oh, sorry. Was that too much? 
Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, first off, love the show. Uh, you guys have been killing it hey. in the awesome way. Thank you. But your pro stands for labeling, transparency, and informing the consumer with regard to GMO foods, and your episode 72 seems to be directly contradiction your stance against labeling and regulating edibles in episode 105. Chris had the discussion on that. Maybe it really is true that they can't accurately label THC levels in edibles in any meaningful way, but not to, but to not acknowledge that labeling edibles could be a good thing in an ideal world seems hypocritical. I suspect the truth about your personal stances is more nuanced than just hypocritical or not. I know just the presence of a label wouldn't prevent people new to edibles from having a bad trip in the same way that it doesn't for alcohol, even though there is an ABV label, alcohol by volume. So it's silly that it is holding up edibles in Washington. I think you've done a great coverage in general on the topic, but your pro-GMO labeling regulating stance in contrast to your anti-labeling regulating edible stance warranted this inquiry. Keep the great show. Yeah, great point, huh? Uh, so, uh, so Chris, yeah, you know, I actually, I guess I didn't mean to come across as totally anti-labeling. What I came, what I wanted to emphasize was, is I don't think it's worth holding up the distribution of legal edibles yeah. over something that we can't even properly define yet. That's true. But I'm always for informing a consumer as much as possible because I'm somebody who has several digestive management issues that I have to be careful of what I consume. Yeah. And so for me, it's critical to know, is there dairy in a product, right? Those yeah, kinds true. of things. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not really anti-labeling. And I was thinking about uh, that conversation we had on the show afterwards. And I was, you know, I even... Even if, like, different um, – so you say – because they were trying to come up with ways like, you know, a one serving of THC, right? Equals whatever, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, 10 milligrams or whatever it was. Like, they come – even if one serving of one type of weed and one serving of another type of weed could have different effects, maybe there would at least be some level of baseline, like, some some level of indicator of how strong that product is. Yeah. So that would be – what about like a like a like a power meter bar? Like like a power like like you know like the, this bat this this bar has this much weed. Like I don't know some well, visual. I, well, I thought and, and you know we need to pull pictures of the Washington state labelings because I've seen some of them. They have percentage numbers of how much THC it contains. Mm-hmm. So I, that would be enough, right? Yeah. So what I think that's the pro- part of the problem. And the other part of the problem is. Uh, these uh, edible places where they're going to manufacture this stuff has to be not only uh, certified by the state, but it has to be cleared through the health department. They haven't passed oh, those geez. inspections. Right, yeah, yeah. Because it's a food thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the reality is most edibles are going to happen in the home because they're just, you know, you make, yeah. like, for example, you, you you make some cannabis butter, and then you just, whatever you add whatever you add that butter to is now a weed and item. He, and here's the ironic thing. Yeah, I mean, people are can just go to these cannabis stores. Granted, they can't right now. They're all sold out. Right. But they can just go to the store and just make the edibles on their own. Yeah. Eh. I know. Yeah. I know. That's why it's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I mentioned earlier in the show, but there are some secure ways you can contact the show. We have links to my Keybase profile and Mr. Nunes's Keybase profile. Yep. If you guys want to send us an encrypted message, I've also got a secure rig up in my office where I, the emails are only stored there. Yeah, here's the key, by the way. Get it quick. It's on the screen. Boom. Boom. Look right at all there. that. But yeah, yeah that, that, yeah, Keybase for me and Keybase for you. Yeah, Keybase is kind of cool. We've had a few people that are tracking us now in Keybase. That's kind of neat. Yeah, by the way, if you guys want an invite, I still have a few. So you can tweet me at Nunes on Twitter if you want uh, an invite. To keybase.io. And then last yeah. but not least, yes. nobody's taking advantage of it, but I did create a new BitMessage address that's dedicated just to this show. Oh, nice. That's in the show notes. I don't know if anybody's using BitMessage or not, but we've got a couple of requests, so I tossed it back up there to kind of see if there's still life. Cool. Uh, and if I remember to check it, if I remember to check it, it's sort of your express lane onto the show. Now, next week's going to be a little crazy since we're recording on Friday. I might, you know, I don't know exactly what my schedule's going to be like, but yep. it's there if you want. But of course, if you're okay with uh, it being transmitted out in the clear, you just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and choose unfilter from the drop down, and uh, you can send in a message the more traditional style, too. Right. Now, obviously, if you are more than open enough and don't need to be secure, a great way that you contribute and come into the show is the 
Unfilter subreddit page at oh. unfilter.reddit.com. That's where I actually submitted the story on Washington State. On the drone. On the drone. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to just, like, if you have something you want to get into the show, even if we don't pick your story, right. it gives us a base level of what you guys are interested in, and then we look at the votes, we look at the comments. It's a, it's a constant course corrector for us. We're always able to look at that and say, this is what the audience is thinking about. We need to talk a little bit more about this particular topic. Unfilter.reddit.com is where you can participate in that. Swordfish submitted that story about the BRICS countries. Ah, yes. That was also pulled in the show. There you go, right there. Now, and Chris. It's also like, you know, since we're not going to have a show on Wednesday, you get more show that way. Now, Chris, you yep. uh, you uh, tweet out things in 140 characters or less, like you let people know when this show's live and late-breaking. Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. That is so awesome, man. Are you going to do any tweeting? You should try you it. You know, I, I like the tweeting. Uh, I tweet a lot. I mean, if you look at my tweets, I... Th- 13,000 total wow, tweets. Wow, dude. Nice. At Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. That is where you can follow me. And yes. if you want an invite to Keybase, tweet me there. Nice, nice. You got any uh, internet content I could perhaps watch? Lots of internet content. Gamer.tv. By the way, I just took the plunge. I'm going to do the T-Mobile test drive for seven days. And I'm going to document the entire experience Ooh. with video blogs and stuff. Curious. And that's all going to be on GeekGamer.tv. I got the box waiting at home right now. Hey, special mention. Uh, if you want more Unfilter, go if you haven't listen to it yet yeah. go check out episode 89 of the unfilter show because guess what that's where we cover this original cia spine on the senate and we went deep into that lots of clips for that and if you're an unfilter supporter you can go check the 89 sync and just go listen to the clips directly to remind yourself of what a major controversy that was and how critical it was and how she's been swept away <laughs> just been swept away as a reminder the unfilter show episode next episode will be next friday yep. july 25th uh, at the same usual time. Right. So make sure you're here next Friday, July 25th. For jblive.tv or jblive.info to catch episode 107. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. We'll see you right back here next, next week. week.